and may it bear much fruit to your glory. For Jesus' sake. Amen. I'm not sure if you're someone who misplaces things. I've been known to misplace things from time to time. Sometimes I'll misplace my keys. And that's a source of mild frustration until they're found. Other times I might misplace my phone, and that's a bit more concerning to me. Sometimes I misplace my wallet. That's significant stress until I have located it. But when I have found it, significant relief. And that's a bit how our emotions work when it comes to things being lost and found, isn't it? The greater the importance or the significance or the value of the thing that's lost, the greater the anxiety that it's missing, and the greater the search effort to find it. In fact, the finding of a once lost thing that is truly valuable to you can bring about not just significant relief, but actually great joy. And in fact, we see this no more than when it comes to people who are lost. And I myself, I experienced this briefly a number of years ago at the Easter show. Uh, my then four-year-old son, Josh, he was playing with his cousins and a horde of other kids on some vast play equipment. And I turned away for what felt like no more than 10 seconds. And when I looked back, I couldn't see him. I didn't worry straight away, but as I looked over the play equipment and looked in the immediate area, he was nowhere to be found. And I remember the panic starting to rise. Now, all's well that ends well. He'd just run down to another big climbing uh, thing 60 metres away. But I powerfully remember the feelings of relief and joy when I saw him and I picked him up and I hugged him like I hadn't hugged him in a long time. I was quite literally in that moment overjoyed, overjoyed at having found him. And that joy, that sort of joy is the primary theme of the parable that Jennifer just read to us. We're continuing our mini-series, looking at three parables from Luke's Gospel. And last week we considered joy as well. It was the joy of God's banquet. This week we're considering the joy of God's discovery. The joy of God's discovery. Like the host of the banquet parable last week, uh, the main character of this parable is also a stand-in for God. And you may have noticed as it was being read, that there is no, we don't get any of the emotions or the perspective of the thing that is lost, in this case a sheep. That solely we get the emotion and perspectives of the one who is searching, in this case a shepherd. And so Jesus tells this, this parable, the parable of the lost sheep. And what this parable communicates to us by showing us the perspective of the one who is searching, what this parable communicates to us most clearly is God's heart. God's heart. That is what God cares for. And according to this parable, according to Jesus, when it comes to human beings, what God is most concerned with is that those who are lost to him be found. That those who are lost to him be found. But what does that mean, to be lost to God? Well, perhaps... Perhaps you're someone who has been searching for meaning and purpose in life in places other than God. You can honestly say that. Maybe they're they're destructive places. The way that your life is, you can tell this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not good. Maybe if there is a God, this is not how I should be living my life. Or maybe they're perfectly pleasing places. 
Your life on a human level looks fine. But they're places other than God. And if that is you, then in the language of this parable, you are lost to God. And that is a serious thing. Remaining lost to God has consequences that stretch into eternity. As the parable we'll look at next week particularly impresses upon us. But if that fills you with anxiety, then hear this. God's heart is for the lost. God's heart is for the lost. That is the message at the heart of this parable. The scene is set for us in the first two verses, isn't it? We read, All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus is attracting the crowd, and that's not at all uncommon for this stage of his public ministry. He's pretty well known as a teacher. But here he's criticised for it. Why is that? Well, it's because it's the wrong sort of crowd. It's made up of sinners and tax collectors, we're told. The sinners were those who, who led kind of more obviously immoral lifestyles. And in the eyes of the Jewish religious leaders, these people had disqualified themselves from a relationship with God. But so too are the tax collectors. Because tax collectors weren't just first century ATO employees. <laughs> they, were, they were betrayers of their own people, colluding with the occupying overlords, and on top of that, fleecing their own people to make themselves rich. And so they were despised across society and all lumped in together, the sinners, the tax collectors. And, you know, human societies all have this category. We all know them, the most lost. Society is utterly unlovable. These are the people gathering around Jesus. Literally, the word is drawing near him, like a gravitational pull. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they simply can't believe this. That this rabbi who claims to speak for God would welcome such lowlifes. And they make this criticism heard. So what's Jesus' response? Well, verse 4. What man among you who has 100 sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it. Jesus' response is simple. He poses a rhetorical question that implies an answer, a yes. And his answer is this. You religious leaders think that these people have permanently disqualified themselves from a relationship with God. You know who doesn't think that? God doesn't think that. God seeks sinners. God seeks the lost the shepherd in this parable, he's not just a hired hand. He's committed. His whole purpose is to go after lost sheep, despite the 99, and whatever the cost. But the shepherd isn't just a committed, diligent searcher of lost sheep. Verse 5. And when he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbours together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost Sheep. So not only does the shepherd go to the trouble of seeking out the sheep, when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, carries it home, and then holds a party in its honour. I mean, it's completely over the top. 
No shepherd would actually do that, which is part of the point that Jesus is making. He's saying, you're upset at the injustice of my welcoming these sinners in God's name. But you know who's not? God isn't. God rejoices when the lost are found. Extravagantly. God rejoices at the salvation of sinners. And then just in case his listeners are in any doubt as to the double meaning behind his story, you know, just in case some of the listeners think, well, maybe he's just telling a nice story about sheep. Verse 7, Jesus makes it explicit. He says, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Jesus' point boils down to heaven celebrates their repentance more than your faithfulness. Can you imagine how a Jewish person who has spent his whole life trying to be faithful to God would hear that? Now, Jesus isn't necessarily having a go at godly faithfulness or faithful godliness. He's merely pointing out the obvious, that there is more joy when something is found than when there is no change in status. And so the parable is quite simple. God's heart is for the lost. In a way, that's all we need to know. We could leave it there. But it's worth considering three particular things that this simple parable teaches us about God. Or rather, three no such things. Three no such things. The first, there is no such thing as too lost. You may recall the name Bertie Madoff. A decade ago, he was the most hated man in America. And for a moment, probably around the world. He made headlines around the world when he was arrested for committing the largest financial investor fraud in history by an individual. He ripped people off to the tune of at least $20 billion, possibly as high as $50 billion. He was sentenced to 150 years in prison, six life sentences. His name has become synonymous with greed and self-interest and a callous disregard for another human being. It's not hard to dislike the Bernie Madoffs of the world or the other people who commit such immoral acts, the despots, the abusers. It's not hard to dislike them, even to despise them. There's almost something righteous in deeming them as unforgivable. But are they beyond the scope of God's forgiveness? This parable is a short and sharp rebuke to our intuitive desire to say yes to that question. This parable says that's actually not God's heart. That's not the Creator's heart. So why is it yours? I think this is a particular challenge to what we might call suburban, middle-class Christianity, of which many of us experience There are lots of broken people in our community. Do we see them reflected in our church communities? How are we going to let people, especially people whose brokenness is perhaps a bit more on the surface than ours, how are we going to let them know that when it comes to God, in every way, there is no such thing as too lost? As hard as it might be, we're going to have to put 
pre-judgment aside. We're going to have to put expectations of decency, even expectations of morality aside. And put the message of God's forgiveness front and centre. I think this also goes for the people in our lives who in their lostness to God may not appear as obviously broken, but whose hardness of heart makes us say, I can't see him or her ever turning to Christ. It's impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. There is no such thing as true loss. But what about lost and not lost? After all, Jesus depicts a flock in which 99 of the sheep stay exactly where they're supposed to, with the shepherd. And he does say in verse 7, he refers to 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Is Jesus really saying that there are people who do not need to repent? who were in fact never lost to God. Well, a number of years ago, a friend of mine went up the coast for a work trip and he had to hire a car and the car came with a sat-nav, which was a good thing because my friend's destination was a rural school. He'd never been there before. And so he punched in the coordinates, took off and drove merrily along for 45 minutes or so, never for a moment thinking he was anywhere other than where he was supposed to be. Until the sat-nav told him to make a turn into a road that didn't exist. And at first my friend thought, oh, maybe I just missed it. But he spent the next 15 minutes driving kilometres up and down the road. Turned out he wasn't even on the road that the sat-nav said he was on. It was broken. He was lost, completely lost, without even realising it. He was lost without realising it. There is irony in what Jesus says in verse 7. Try imagining him saying it with a question mark and a wry smile on his face. Righteous people who don't need repentance. That's how the Pharisees and teachers of the law saw themselves, as righteous people who didn't need repentance. But before God, they are just as lost as the sinners and tax collectors. They just didn't realise it. I think the richness of parables is in their imagery. And like rejection in the banquet parable, lostness in this parable is merely picture language for sin. The inclination of every human heart to reject God. The prophet Isaiah, writing centuries before Jesus, and using strikingly similar imagery to this parable, he famously says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Our sin, our spiritual lostness means that we either ignore God or we actively reject him. Generally both. Either way, it's a turning away from the one who gives life. And the result is the same. Universal sin in all its expressions has but one universal outcome. Death. Physical and spiritual. Temporal and eternal. But in the face of universal sin and death, Jesus would show just how much God's heart is for the lost. Not only by telling a parable as memorable as it is, and not only by welcoming sinners and eating with them, as noble as that was, but by dying for sinners. All of them. Looking forward to Jesus, 
that same passage from Isaiah famously goes on to say, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The sin of us all. The spiritual lostness of us all. Jesus' death on our behalf and resurrection to new life, it makes a way for lost people to return to God, to be found by him and return to him. And if you think, well, that's not that big a deal that Jesus died, or if you think, I, I think I'm exempt from that, I don't think he really needed to die for me, just think about it this way. The fact that the eternal son of God became a man in the first place and then died for people at all, means that there is no such thing as not lost. He wouldn't do it for just a few people, if a few other people were okay. And that also means that there's no such thing as only a little bit lost. I think that was also one of the problems that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had. They thought that any sort of lostness they did have before God could be made up with by righteous religious living. But consider the helplessness of the sheep. All the sheep can do is be found and be carried on the shepherd's shoulders and be brought home. That's the most wonderful picture of what it means to be saved by Jesus, to place your trust in Jesus. He has done all the work. He has sought you out and found you. All you need to do is say, thank you. Please carry me. That's the only way any of us are going to get home. What is home? A right relationship with God. There is no such thing as not lost. And lastly, there's no such thing as enough sheep. We often use 99 as kind of a de facto term for virtual completeness, don't we? You know, are we nearly there? Well, we're 99% of the way there. Are you sure? I'm 99% sure. Basically, I'm sure. Stop asking. But Jesus, when, when speaking about lost souls, he does not use 99 that way. Most shepherds would rationalise the loss, wouldn't they? It's just one sheep. I have 99 others. But Jesus doesn't say that. What does the shepherd do? He leaves the 99 and he searches until the one is found. Why? Because they're not a complete flock. Because the value of the 99 does not outweigh the value of the one that is lost. So for those of us who call ourselves Christians and who are members of God's people, part of a church community, we should never just be satisfied with our number. You know, Minchinbury as a church has experienced numerical growth over the past few years. In fact, over the past decade, does that mean that we deprioritize reach as our number one thing, reaching the lost? Well, all three services are pretty full, music sold across the board, rosters can be filled. Job done. Let's just focus on nurturing one another. How much of Minchinbury's growth is down to people in the Mount Druitt and Rudy Hill area placing their trust in Jesus? Not much. Most of it is existing believers moving to the church. And that's great. It is great to be a church that other believers find encouraging and meaningful to be a part of. 
But according to this parable, those are no laurels to rest on. Especially when we consider that tens of thousands of people, just in our local area, like literally round the corners, who don't know Jesus. We can never be satisfied with the existence of a safe 99. There is no such thing as enough sheep. So what is God's heart for? The Bible tells us that God made people to be in relationship with him, eternal relationship with him. That is our purpose for being. God doesn't want us to be lost to him. This is not a matter of indifference to our creator. And so Jesus told this parable, and Luke recorded it for us, to make clear in the simplest terms possible That God's heart is for the lost. That God seeks sinners, no matter how lost they may appear to be. And he rejoices, along with all of heaven, he rejoices in their salvation. Is that you? Are you presently lost to God? Hear this, you're being sought. Jesus has done it all. All you need to do is say, thank you. Please carry me home. And if you want to be able to say that, if you want to investigate that further, can I commend to you the One Life course starting tomorrow night. Just the most wonderful opportunity in a pretty intimate setting to explore who Jesus is and what he has done done for you so that you can know what it means and the great joy of being found by God. For those of us who are members of this church or another church, may our concern for people's salvation, may that be the hallmark of who we are as the people of God. Those who ourselves once were lost, but now are found. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in all the ways so many people over the years have experienced you have sought us and found us we thank you for the cross of christ that pays for our wandering our spiritual lostness that jesus has died the death that we couldn't die by faith in him we are carried home to a right relationship with you pray that you may encourage and strengthen those of us who have been found and i ask that you may put it upon the hearts of those who are searching lost out there, to know that you have sought them out. They may say yes to Jesus. That's in his name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church family. Um, missing you guys a lot. You guys can um, My That's, name is Steve. He actually prays uh, for six minutes, so you can take your time, but you'll be straight um, up. And I'll be looking at prayers this morning. This morning we'll be praying for the world we live in, the global community. Needed to go to the prayer training. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you with apology hearts, longing for your comfort and your grace. In the midst of COVID-19 spreading across the globe, we ask in your mercy that you would stop this pandemic and restore harmony and health. To the nations across this world and especially this country. 